Welcome to this episode of HBCU. Joining me on the show today is Richard Campbell. Richard received his undergraduate degree from Morehouse and his graduate degree from Howard University. Richard, welcome to the show. Glad well, to have you. Glad to be here. Hey, man, listen, I want to start set the stage by talking about Morehouse. Morehouse. How did you end up at Morehouse College? Well, my father went to Morehouse. My uncle taught at Morehouse. My brothers went to Morehouse. Okay. So we only had one application at high school, <laughs> and that was the Morehouse. That was Morehouse. Oh, yeah, that was real easy. So, hey, look, the first day you set foot on campus, do you remember that day? What was it like? So, you know, Morehouse, when you're accepted, you have this summer program that you come in in orientation, mm -hmm. prospective student seminar, PSS. That was the first, that's the awakening of a new life, you know, when yeah. you get on that campus, walking up the hills, seeing the steeples, seeing the other men there that you're going to go to school with. Very fulfilling, very emotional, very exciting all at the same time. Really? So what's special about Morehouse that makes it's different from any other HBCU or college. Well, we have the mystique that is beyond reproach. Our men, our teachers, our faculty are focused on the development of black men specifically yeah. and the issues that black men face in this country and abroad. So they instill a little level of camaraderie, a level of networking, a level of excellence that's just gonna be hard to find anywhere else focused on the black male psychology and the black male community. And that's yeah. what Morehouse really makes a very big distinction for than other, other HBCUs for anyone. So uh, on the campus, uh, what are some of the signature events, some of the, the things that make Morehouse unique? Well, one of the amazing things that makes Morehouse unique is our community. We've got Spelman across the street. You know, you got Clark Atlanta University, now Morris Brown has returned. And we do a lot together as a community. We have our own individual things like the, the homecomings and of course during my era, the freakniks of the world and, the, and what we do every Friday on the quad. But it's more than that, it's the camaraderie, it's the days and the nights with your, with your brothers, with your, with your colleagues that makes it a lot different. So, how do you make the transition from Morehouse to Howard for graduate school? Why, why did you select Howard? Well, after Morehouse, I graduated and went to live in Nashville, Tennessee and work at Bank of America. And then a friend of mine said, hey, uh, Brandon Pettigrew out of Alabama, he said, hey, I'm going overseas to be a, a international business consultant. Yeah. And I was like, who is doing an international business consultancy program? He said, the Peace Corps. So I then left Nashville, went to Peace Corps. Okay. And then while in Peace Corps, I applied to the Howard MBA program, got in, and then went. Okay, so and tell so, me about Peace Corps. What was that like? Oh, Peace Corps was amazing. I went to Mali, West Africa, learned French, and I was Peace Corps' microfinance um, pilot 
which means we show people how to start banks and villages. Okay. And then the Peace Corps uh, volunteers and their counterparts would come to the capital where I was stationed, and we would train them on starting banks and villages. And so it was very fulfilling because it was the first time Peace Corps had uh, gotten in that type of microfinance education back in the early 90s, and I was glad to be able to spearhead it in Africa, and it became one of their global programs okay. operating today. And then, so you leave Peace Corps, go to Howard. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was that like? Well, it was, it was an awesome time because I, I basically started my Howard MBA career two days after ending Peace Corps. So it was, a very, right it, it was a very great and amazing transition. The staff and faculty at Howard welcomed that Peace Corps experience into that MBA class. Dean Harvey uh, helped mentor and, and process me through there. So Howard, you know, the Mecca is a big, big institution, yeah. 13,000 people. Compared to the leadership of the 3,000 or Morehouse, you know, it's a, it's a great combination to have experienced both. Right. And so what are some of the uh, things you remember most about your time uh, in, in school at Howard? Well, uh, Howard was where I actually began living my, my life in D.C. I mm -hmm. met my fiance at the time, got married out of Howard, um, learned rocks. I started, actually rocks had become a hobby mm -hmm. in terms of growing plants and rocks yeah. uh, while I was at, at more, I mean, excuse me, at Howard. So there was a, a little uh, addition to that as well. And then after there, I was able to, actually during my time at Howard, I went back to Mauritania. And this was the interesting thing of uh, divergence in my life. I had a choice to make. Take your banking program from Peace Corps and expand it to other countries in Africa or go work for a mobile oil company. Mm. So I ended up foregoing the big check at the mobile oil to go back to work for Peace Corps during that internship period between the two years at, at, at Howard. Yeah. And I took a delegation of student, uh, adults from Mauritania on a tour of Mali to show them how to do banks and take it back to their country. So that kind of domestic Howard life and yeah. Peace Corps life at the same time was also a very fulfilling part of my Howard career. Now you mentioned that while at Howard, uh, you started growing plants and rocks. My uncle, so the plants and rock thing started before I went to Peace Corps some rocks, uh, some watermelon seeds fell in a, some rocks designed for landscape protection and out popped a watermelon. My uncle, he didn't like weeds. So he tried to get rid of all his weeds, lay down fabric, put down rocks, mm -hmm. ate a watermelon to celebrate the victory of his landscape project outdoors, <laughs> spit them out, and then that next spring, we saw a vine and a watermelon. Oh wow. And he's like, Richard, come outside and explain to me why I'm looking at this watermelon. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll play your silly little game. Let's go out inside to see. And he says, why am I looking at this watermelon? I said, well, I think the roots of that watermelon is under the rocks and the ground. Case closed, right? right? He's like, no, I put fabric down. This is landscape. I don't want vegetation out here. I ate some watermelon last fall. I was like, ah. Okay, okay, let me go and see. Yeah. So I dug down, I saw the roots of the watermelon going laterally across the fabric. Yeah. And I said, okay, I guess the rocks are providing food for that watermelon. And he says, well, that's impossible. I said, well, it's not really impossible. Number one, we're looking at it. So it can't be impossible that we're looking at it. <laughs> but let me explain it this way. 
Rocks are minerals. Minerals are nutrients, and nutrients are fertilizers. So they're at least cousins. So I said right. that. I said rocks are minerals, minerals are nutrients, and nutrients are fertilizers. They're at least cousins. And he said, okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So then I go to Peace Corps, he starts buying more rock and sand and seeds from the local hardware store and starts tinkering. So while he's tinkering, he's sending me photos. So I'm always kept up to speed. Yeah. Although I wasn't actively in it, I was just like listening to what he was saying. Right. And then in 2008, when my grandmother died, he and I did an audit of our family land at the request of my mother, my uncle asked me to come to his gardens back in Nashville where I was living you know, that many years ago. And he asked me to figure out what's going on in his garden. I was like, you've been having a garden now for 15 years and you just brought me back here. And my mother, you had us drive all the way from New York to Nashville. And you say, you want me to figure out what's going on in your garden? He's like, yeah. Like, we don't get it. It's like, well, the only reason I've been growing plants all these years and these rocks in my garden is because you said rocks and minerals, minerals and nutrients and nutrients and fertilizers. That's all I got. Yeah. I don't know nothing else after that. I know I'm growing tomatoes and corn and cucumbers and beans and squash and marigolds and mint, but I don't know why. And oh, by the way, Richard, can you make this real for the people? I think this can help people. I'm watching this famine occurring in Ethiopia. It's 2008, Ethiopia is in the middle of a famine. We see people dying and there are rocks at the bottom of their feet that I think could help them. Can you help unpack what I'm doing, Richard, and then take it to the world and stop those people from Ethiopia from dying? And that was the question he asked me. He was dead serious. Right. <laughs> and so I generally have a say, say yes policy to someone courageous enough to come to me and ask a question. Yeah. So I was like, sure. And so if. is that when your deep interest in geoag took off? Yep. Once, uh, you know, once one of the elders made a request, well, you got to honor the elders. Right. So in my honoring of the elders, figure out what's going on take it to the people, we have everything that we have now, which is over 24 HBCUs and 15 African universities with over 200 volunteer faculty PhDs unpacking rock with us. And wow. so I, we spent the last decade or so um, crisscrossing HBCU college campuses, the first being Tennessee State University. Mm -hmm. They're actually in the book that we wrote, this book, um, Riverstones yeah. Grow Plants. So tell me about the book. Well, this book represents our now, well, I put it out in 2017. So at that time is our 25 year history with growing plants and rocks. So pictures of my uncle's time, plus my time from 2008 to 2017. Um, it's put in this book, a whole bunch of pictures and descriptions. Yeah. Also in here is the research from Tennessee State and George Washington University who contributed with us. And so this book is available on Amazon. We want people to download it from our website. But this book has the answers of rocks. You know, what we like to say is that our society runs on soil, obviously. But the rules between rock and soil are about 60% different. 
So the watering rules are different, lighting rules are different, harvest, roots. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of differences that we kind of have to teach you. Right. And so we already feel we get brown thumbs, that we can't grow, that we're genetically predisposed not to be able to grow plants in soil. So that's on our mentality. So we really have to unpack that and repack it with minerals, AKA rocks, mm -hmm. to show you how to grow plants. Wow. And so talk to me about how this program is working at the various HBCUs around the country and the impact that it's having on those institutions. Well, if we start with our first HBCU, Tennessee State, Dr. Arvazina Clardy there, she's a horticulture scientist. Mm -hmm. We taught it in her class back in 2012 for the first time. And she's kept it going ever since then. So she has now 10 years worth of students coming out of TSU who know how to grow plants and rocks. That's over a thousand students. Right now at Morgan State University, Dr. Samia Kirkner, she is leading our, our architecture and engineering efforts. They've designed a new bay window for apartments, condos, and small spaces so everyone that doesn't have a garden or farm can have their own permanent access to food. We call that micro farming. Okay. Morehouse College, Ms. Lavanya Jones, she's got her students working on some projects with us for the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. So our HBCUs are across the board. Dr. Sue Ebanks over at Savannah State University is looking at the intersection between geological agriculture and marine science. Yeah. So our over, you know, 700 professors are all looking at different things. We have Dr. Marilyn Sherman at Florida Memorial University looking at geoag botanical gardens, where Dr. Wieso in the same university is looking at geoag isotopes, real heady technical stuff. So all of our professors find their own niche. Yeah. Uh, Professor Ali Young in Bronx Community College, she's looking at geoag nutrition the United States Department of Agriculture gave her a grant to have a geoag conference on nutrition security in the Bronx so that we can help address food deserts. So right. our universities, our HBCUs are all over it, doing a lot of amazing things with it. And so how are you um, using this program to help eliminate food deserts? Oh, that's our sweet spot. Soon as this book came out here, Riverstone's Grow Plants in 2017, Commissioner Marvin Harrington, Commissioner Natalie Hall, and Rob Pitts, and Emma Darnell, out of Fulton County, Georgia, voted to bring GeoAg there because Atlanta is seen as one of the most severe food desert situations in America, where in Bankhead, the life expectancy for blacks, black men is 66, yep. and in Buckhead, the life expectancy is 89. That big, huge 20 plus year gap made Atlanta the widest gap of health and life expectancy in the country. Wow. And the, the, the leaders there over at Fulton County voted to teach, have GEOAC taught in the community, in the food desert, as an alternative means of nutrition access and security. And so that program ran for two years up into the pandemic. Now tell me about the, uh, the plant we have. We have a, 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 what, a mango seed and a mango plant. Talk to me about this. This is my baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> and so I moved to Miami, Florida uh, for the year-round agricultural programming. I can study ag year-round down there. I don't have any breaks, so there's no snow and all that stuff. Well, I ended up getting a house with a, tr with a mango tree and ate man mangoes this year. And then I saw the seeds. And so I was able to watch a mango deteriorate 
down to the seed. And so this is my first time, and then I see that one of these seeds had a little pop open. I was like, oh, that's how it seeds. So then I started harvesting these mm -hmm. after I eat the mangoes, and I stuck one into my rocks to see what would happen. There you have it. And there you have it. Wow. That was about you know, four weeks ago, and the other mangoes outside my house that are growing in soil are all one color. And this tree in rocks, the first mango of GOAC, you see it's multicolored. Yeah. And that's because the science, the science of GOAG is really interesting. Each of these rocks are minerals, mm -hmm. and you know how they're all different colors? Well, they're all putting out different minerals. So they're all having a different effect. Mm -hmm. Now, if I had another container of white rocks or another container of black rocks, this plant would look differently. Really? Change out the rock, mm -hmm. change out the genetics of the plant, including its color trait, its color, its taste, and its traits and nutritional value will be slightly different if you go from one rock to the next. So now we have a wider uh, array of possibilities when planting anything we plant. Because so we have different things. So describe the process of how this worked. How did you? All right, so, you know, we know in rock world how to test any seed. Mm -hmm. And so, but basically we take our, if you see this, our favorite container, you would call it wells food because it's trash, it ends up in the ocean in a well. Mm -hmm. We call it plastic or recycled plastic. So somebody says single-use plastic, we say permit-use plastic. We like plastic because one, we can put the holes in it necessary to aerate the container. We also got tiny holes at the bottom. Then we have a sponge here which brings in water and feeds it to rock also known as minerals. Mm -hmm. That's the real smoking gun. The whole smoking gun to geological agriculture lies in the definition of the rock. Collection of minerals. Which minerals? How do we use them? Can they be beneficial? Can we use them again? And so we figured all that out. And so now we have this mineral, pure mineral, making a pure organic mango tree. That means it didn't have any soil or fertilizer. Right. And it's 100% man-made elements, just rock and water, and configured properly. So you are also um, implementing this program in Africa as well. Yes. So how did you end up in Africa? And talk to me about what, what you're doing there. Our vice president of development about five years ago, Ms. Yola, uh, set us up with the U.S. State Department. Mm -hmm. So the State Department, would invite our team to present to the Young African Leaders Initiative. That's the Obama program, it's called YALI. Mm -hmm. Obama created this program to find the best and the brightest of Africa. Every year, thousands of Africans uh, try to apply for this Young African Leaders Initiative Fellow, and hundreds get selected. And they all come to Washington, D.C. And so the State Department puts us up as a feature innovation for them to learn about. Mm. So we met several hundred YALI representatives and winners of these fellow programs in 2018, 2019, and then put a call to them. Hey, we want your universities in on this because we're gonna go after grants with our universities. We yeah. wanna pair up our HBCUs with your African universities to go at this together. And so our YALI GEOAG volunteer corps 
were able to offer up about 15 different countries of, of universities. So we have 15 universities, 15, 15 different countries have a university with a geoag lead faculty researcher that we collaborate with and we partner with our HBCU here in the United States. Wow, that's amazing. So we have another book here. Talk to me about this one here. Oh, this was a fun book. This is our children's book. A group out of Washington, D.C. called Do the Right Thing, Right as in Writing, mm -hmm. um, by Loretta Smith, her nonprofit. This is where we did a 10-week with some kids, and we, we would, you know, show the kids how to grow, and then they would draw what they grow, and then they took their whole lesson plan and put it in this book for them to take home and have it our first children's book. But it, but it shows you what we do with the kids on, on a school level, what the kids are growing, what they're drawing. And it's a real good feel good. And then we see all this beautiful artwork. Right. The kid artwork is just to die for, I love it. And so this is now our children's book based on our relationship with that organization in right. DC. Now, speaking of artwork, I think you brought some examples here. So tell me what we got. Yeah, our, our kids over at um, New Jerusalem Primitive Church in Miami, mm -hmm. um, they, they draw and then they, they give it a name. This one's Justice. This plant is named Chanel. So we show the kids how to take a plastic recycled bottle, take the rocks, take what's necessary in the seeds, grow their plant, and then come back and draw what they see. And it's just, this one's called The Boss. <laughs> it's just too cute. I love it. And so, um, you know, all the kids, it's just remarkable to see them grow. Now, what age group are we talking? K-5. K-5. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we go down, we, we're in universities with this, this book, and K-12 uh, doing all types of things. K-5, we do a lot of drawing. Mm -hmm. Uh, 612, you, now you're getting into the microscopes, you're getting into the science, deeper experiments. So we have GeoAx segmented for every grade level. Okay. According to, you know, Common Core Standards. So tell me, what is your goal in terms of how you would like for this program ultimately to impact HBCUs across the country? Well, there's the greater goal where everyone in society, all our kids should know how to use rocks. If, since they can do that. The role of the HBCU specifically is that I'm working with them to refine the rock and come out with the proper products for the marketplace, right. like the GeoAg Bay window that's being designed over at Morgan State University, or the chicken feeder designed for chickens that's mm -hmm. being designed over at Tennessee State University. So we have all these, or the hydroponic retrofits that we have underway at Bowie State University. So all of our HBCUs and all of our faculty are rolling up their sleeves so that they can put new innovation in our lives as humans. Right. And so that's their role. That's the role, to help us unpack and then reissue new engineered products for the greater good. So tell me this, wh why did you select HBCUs in order to launch this whole initiative? Why was that kind of your launching, launching pad? Two reasons. One, the HBCUs said yes, and the non-HBCUs said no. So they won on peer performance, on research, ingenuity, and curiosity. We know who we are. I'm a, I have seven federal security clearances. Usually, I uh, report to the inspector general's office. So we know everyone we're talking to. 
but it's the HBCUs who said yes. And they say yes in a big way. Uh, they will, hey, we like it, our department likes it, what do you need from us? Let's get to work. That's the right thing. Right. And other schools, they don't do that. They just take my book, go off, hide, try it themselves, fail, and then we get nothing. The HBCUs collaborate, like they lean in and collaborate, and that's right. why they won. They won this outright. So uh, just to get ready to close the show out, take about a minute to tell me why someone who's considering sending their kid to college, why they should choose Morehouse or Howard University as their HBCU? When, if you live in America, you see that it's a place of the have and have nots. When you have, you get and everything's free, you don't work for it. When you have not, you have to work, you have to know, you get to learn. Yep. You get to understand nature if you're out there working with nature. If you're inside not working with nature, what do you really know? And that's where going to HBCU is better because you're working always from a place of, 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 of challenge. That means you can overcome greater things. Right. If you go to a non-HBCU and you're working from a place of all uh, giving, you will never learn how to get for yourself and right. build for others. Right. At an HBCU, because we're, the entire school is not getting the resources as our neighbor down the street, mm -hmm. all of us at all time are on all hands on deck, we can do this together. Oh, man, because I... we're getting, they're not doing it over there for us. Thank you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Richard, for being on the show. And look, uh, for your commitment to HBCUs, uh, and all the work that you put behind historically black colleges and universities, we will be awarding you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award. And so, again, I thank you so much for all the great work you're doing. Thank, thank you, you for being on the show. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. And remember, without you, there's no me.